Chapter Three of When a Man Marries by Mary Roberts Reinhardt. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. I might have known it. The minute I had consented, I regretted it. After all, what were Jimmy's troubles to me? Why should I help him impose on an unsuspecting elderly woman? And it was only putting off discovery, anyhow. Sooner or later she would learn of the divorce, and, just at that instant, my eyes fell on Mr. Haberson. Tom Haberson, as Anne called him. He was looking on with an amused, half-puzzled smile, while people were rushing around, hiding the roulette wheel and things of which Miss Carruthers might disapprove. And Betty Mercer was on her knees, winding up a toy bear that Max had brought her. What would he think? It was evident that he thought badly of us already, that he was contemptuously amused, and then to have to ask him to lend himself to the deception. With a gasp I hurtled myself after Jimmy, only to hear a strange voice in the hall, and to know that I was too late. I was in for it, whatever was coming. It was Aunt Selina who was coming, along the hall, followed by Jim, who was mopping his face and trying not to notice the paralyzed silence in the library. Aunt Selina met me in the doorway. To my frantic eyes she seemed to tower above us by at least a foot, and beside her Jimmy was a red, perspiring cherub. "'Here she is,' Jimmy said, from behind a temporary eclipse of black cloak and traveling bag. He was on top of the situation now, and he was mendaciously cheerful. He had not said, here is my wife. That would have been a lie. No, Jimmy merely said, here she is. If Aunt Selina chose to thank me Bella, was it not her responsibility? And if I chose to accept the situation, was it not mine? Dallas Brown came forward gravely as Aunt Selina folded over and kissed me and serpentitiously patted me with one hand while he held out the other to Miss Carruthers. I loathed him. "'We always expect something unusual from James, Miss Carruthers,' he said, with his best manner. "'But this, this is beyond our wildest dreams. Well, it's too awful to linger over.' Anne took her upstairs and into Bella's bedroom. It was a fancy of Jim's to leave that room just as Bella had left it. Dusty dance cards and favors hanging around and a pair of discarded slippers under the bed. I don't think it had been swept since Bella left it. I believe in sentiment, but I like it brushed and dusted and the cobwebs off of it. And when Aunt Selina put down her bonnet, it stirred up a gray-white cloud that made her cough. She did not say anything, but she looked around the room grimly, and I saw her run her finger over the back of a chair before she let Hannah, the maid, put her cloak on it. Anne looked frightened. She ran into Bella's bath and wet the end of a towel, and when Hannah was changing Aunt Selina's collar, her concession to evening dress, Anne wiped off the obvious places on the furniture. She did it stealthily, but Aunt Selina saw her in the glass. "'What's that young woman's name?' she asked me sharply when Anne had taken the towel out to hide it. "'Anne Brown, Mrs. Dallas Brown,' I replied meekly. Everyone replied meekly to Aunt Selina. "'Does she live here?' "'Oh, no,' I said airily. "'They are here to dinner, she and her husband. 
They are old friends of Jim's, and mine. Seems to have a good eye for dirt, said Aunt Selina, and went on fastening her brooch. When she was finally ready, she took a bead purse from somewhere about her waist and took out a half dollar. She held it up before Hannah's eyes. Tomorrow morning, she said sternly, you take off that white cap and that foldy roll apron and that black Henrietta cloth and put on a calico wrapper, and when you've got this room aired and swept, Mrs. Wilson will give you this. Hannah took two steps back and caught hold of a chair. She stared helplessly from Aunt Selina to the half dollar, and then at me. Anne was trying not to catch my eye. And another thing, Aunt Selina said from the head of the stairs, I sent those tiles over from Ireland. Tell her to wash and bleach the one Mrs. What's-Her-Name Brown used as a duster. Anne was quite crushed as we went down the stairs. I turned once, halfway down, and her face was a curious mixture of guilt and hopeless wrath. Over her shoulder I could see Hannah, wide-eyed and puzzled, staring after us. Jim presented everybody, and then he went into the den and closed the door, and we heard him unlock the cellarette. Aunt Selina looked at Leela's bare shoulders and said she guessed she didn't take cold easily, and conversation rather languished. Max Reed was looking like a thundercloud, and he came over to me with a lowering expression that I had learned to dread in him. What fool nonsense is this? he demanded. What in the world possessed you, Kit, to put yourself in such an equivocal position? Unless, he stopped and turned a little white, unless you are going to marry Jim. I am sorry for Max. He is such a nice boy and good-looking, too, if only he were not so fierce and did not want to make love to me. No matter what I do, Max always disapproves of it. I have always had a deeply rooted conviction that if I should ever in a weak moment marry Max, he would disapprove of that, too, before I had done it very long. Are you? he demanded, narrowing his eyes, a sign of unusual bad humor. Am I what? Going to marry him? If you mean Jim, I said with dignity, I haven't made up my mind yet. Besides, he hasn't asked me. Aunt Selina had been talking woman's suffrage in front of the fireplace, but now she turned to me. Is this the vase Cousin Jane Wilkham sent you as a wedding present? She demanded, indicating a hideous urn-shaped affair on the mantel. It came to me as an inspiration that Jim had once said it was an ancestral urn, so I said without hesitation that it was. And because there was a pause, and everyone was looking at us, I added that it was a beautiful thing. Aunt Selina sniffed. Hideous, she said. It looks like Cousin Jane, shape and coloring. Then she looked at it more closely, pounced on it, turned it upside down, and shook it. A card fell out, which Dallas picked up and gave her with a bow. Jim had come out of the den and was dancing wildly around and beckoning to me. By the time I had made out that it was not the vase Cousin Jane had sent us as a wedding present, Aunt Selina had examined the card. Then she glared across at me and, stooping, put the card in the fire. I did not understand it all, 
but I knew I had in some way done the unforgivable thing. Later, Dal told me it was her card, and that she had sent the vase to Jim at Christmas, with a generous check inside. When she straightened from the fireplace, it was to a new theme, which she attacked with her usual vigor. The vase incident was over, but she never forgot it. She proved that she never did when she sent me two urn-shaped vases with Paul and Virginia on them, when I—that is, later on. "'The cause in England has made great strides,' she announced from the fireplace. "'Soon the hand that rocks the cradle will be the hand that actually rules the world.' Here she looked at me. "'I'm not up on such things,' Max said blandly, having recovered some of his good humor. "'But isn't it usually a foot that rocks the cradle?' Aunt Selina turned on him and Mr. Haverson, who were standing together with a snort. "'What have you, are you, ever done for the independence of woman?' she demanded. Mr. Haverson smiled. He had been looking rather grave until then. "'We have at least remained unmarried,' he retorted, and then dinner was again announced." He was to take me out, and he came across the room to where I sat collapsed in a chair and bent over me. "'Do you know?' he said, looking down at me with his clear, disconcerting gaze. "'Do you know that I have just grasped the situation? There was such a noise that I did not hear your name, and I am only realizing now that you are my hostess. I don't know why I got the impression that this was a bachelor establishment, but I did.' odd, wasn't it? I positively couldn't look away from him. My features seemed frozen, and my eyes were glued to his. As for telling him the truth, well, my tongue refused to move. I intended to tell him during dinner if I had an opportunity. I honestly did. But the more I looked at him and saw how candid his eyes were, and how stern his mouth might be, the more I shivered at the plunge. And, of course, as everybody knows now, I didn't tell him at all. And every moment I expected that awful old woman to ask me what I paid my cook, and when I had changed the color of my hair, Bella's being black. Dinner was a half hour late when we finally went out, Jimmy leading off with Aunt Selina and I as hostess trailing behind the procession with Mr. Haverson. Dallas took in the two Mercer girls, for we were one man short, and Max took Anne. Leela Mercer was so excited that she wiggled, and as for me, the candles and the orchids, everything, danced around in a circle, and I just seemed to catch the back of my chair as it flew past. Jim had ordered away the wines and brought out some weak and cheap Chianti. Dallas looked gloomy at the change, but Jim explained in an undertone that Aunt Selina didn't approve of expensive vintages. Naturally, the meal was glum enough. Aunt Selina had had her dinner on the train, so she spent her time in asking me questions the length of the table and in getting acquainted with me. She had brought a bottle of some sort of medicine downstairs with her, and she took a claret glassful while she talked. The stuff was called Pomona. Shall I ever forget it? It was Mr. Haberson who first noticed Takahiro. Jimmy's Jap had been the only thing in the menage that Bella declared she had hated to leave. 
but he was doing the strangest things his little black eyes shifted nervously and he looked queer what's wrong with him mr haberson asked me finally when he saw that i noticed is he ill then aunt selina's voice from the other end of the table bella she called in a high shrill tone do you let james eat cucumbers i think he must be i said hurriedly aside to mr haberson see how his hands shake but selina would not be ignored cucumbers and strawberries she repeated impressively i was saying bella that cucumbers have always given james the most fearful indigestion and yet i see you serve them at your table do you remember what i wrote you to give him when he has his dreadful spells i was quite speechless every one was looking and no one could help it was clear jim was racking his brain and we sat staring desperately at each other across the candles everything i had ever known faded from me eight pairs of eyes bored into me mr haberson's politely amused i don't remember i said at last really i don't believe aunt selina smiled in a superior way now don't you recall it she insisted i said baking soda in water taken internally for cucumbers baking soda and water externally rubbed on when he gets that dreadful itching strawberry rash i believe the dinner went on somebody asked aunt selina how much overcharge she had paid in foreign hotels and after that she was as harmless as a dove then halfway through the dinner we heard a crash in takahiro's pantry and when he did not appear again jim got up and went out to investigate he was gone quite a little while and when he came back he looked worried sick he replied to our inquiring glances one of the maids will come in they have sent for a doctor aunt selina was for going out at once and fixing him up as she put it but dallas gently interfered i wouldn't miss caruthers he said in the deferential manner he had adopted toward her you don't know what it may be he's been looking spotty all evening it might be scarlet fever max broke in cheerfully i say scarlet fever on a mongolian what color would that be jimmy what do yellow and red make green orange jim said shortly i wish you people would remember that we are trying to eat the fact was however that no one was really eating except mr haberson who had given up trying to understand us considering no doubt our subdued excitement as our normal condition ages afterward i learned that he thought my face almost tragic that night and that he supposed from the way i glared across the table that i had quarrelled with my husband i am afraid you are not well he said at last noticing my food untouched on my plate we should not have come any of us i am perfectly well i replied feverishly i am never ill i-i ate a late luncheon he glanced at me keenly don't let them stay and play bridge tonight he urged miss caruthers can be an excuse can't she not and you are really fagged you look it i think it is only ill-humor i said looking directly at him i am angry at myself i have done something silly and i hate to be silly 
max would have said impossible or something else trite the haberson man looked at me with interested serious eyes is it too late to undo it he asked and then and there i determined that he should never know the truth he could go back to south america and build bridges and make love to the spanish girls or are they spanish down there and think of me always as a married woman married to a dilettante artist inclined to be stout the artist not i and with an aunt selina caruthers who made buttons and believed in the cause but never never should he think of me as a silly little fool who pretended that she was the other man's wife and had a lump in her throat because when a really nice man came along a man who knew something more than polo and motors she had to carry on the deception to keep his respect and be sedate and matronly and see him change from perfect open aberration at first to a hands-off she is my host's wife attitude at last it can never be undone i said soberly well that's the picture as nearly as i can draw it a round table with a low centerpiece of orchids in lavenders and pink old silver candlesticks with filigree shades against the somber wainscoting nine people two of them unhappy jim and i one of them complacent aunt selina one puzzled mr haberson and the rest hysterically mirthful add one sick japanese butler and grind in the mills of the gods everyone promptly forgot takahiro in the excitement of the game we were all playing finally however aunt selina who seemed to have takahiro on her mind looked up from her plate that jap was speckled she asserted i wouldn't be surprised if it's measles has he been sniffling james has he been sniffling jim threw across at me i hadn't noticed it i said meekly while the others choked max came to the rescue she refused to eat it he explained distinctly to everybody apropos absolutely of nothing it said on the box ready cooked and pre-digested she declared she didn't care who cooked it but she wanted to know who pre-digested it as everyone wanted to laugh everyone did it then and under cover of the noise i caught anne's eye and we left the dining-room the men stayed and by the very firmness with which the door closed behind us i knew that dallas and max were bringing out the bottles that takahiro had hidden i was seething when aunt selina indicated a desire to go over the house it was natural that she should want to it was her house in a way i excused myself for a minute and flew back to the dining-room it was as i had expected jim hadn't cheered perceptibly and the rest were patting him on the back and pouring things out for him and saying poor old jim in the most maddening way and the haberson man was looking more and more puzzled and not at all hilarious i descended on them like a thunderbolt that's it i cried shrewdishly with my back against the door leave her to me all of you and pat each other on the back and say it's gone splendidly oh i know you every one mr haberson got up and pulled out a chair but i couldn't sit i folded my arms on the back after a while i suppose you'll slip upstairs the four of you and have your game 
they looked guilty but i will block that right now i am going to stay here if aunt selina wants me she can find me here the first indication those men had that mr haverson didn't know the state of affairs was when he turned and faced them mrs wilson is quite right he said gravely we're a selfish lot if miss caruthers is responsibility let us share her to arms jim said with an affection of lightness as they put their glasses down and threw open the door dow's retort whose was lost in the confusion and we went into the library on the way dallas managed to speak to me if haberson doesn't know don't tell him he said in an undertone he's a queer duck in some ways he mightn't think it funny funny i choked it's the least funny thing i ever experienced deceiving that haberson man isn't so bad he thinks me crazy anyhow he's been staring his eyes out at me i don't wonder you're really lovely tonight, kit and you look like a vixen but to deceive that harmless old lady well thank goodness it's nine and she leaves in an hour or so but she didn't and that's the story end of chapter three